0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by my host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games at ComicBook.com. And today we are returning to the mics to talk about Obi-Wan Episode 3, just five short days after Episodes 1 and 2 premiered. I'm thinking... Because Disney Plus, when they first started with Mando and WandaVision, I believe they were dropping them on Fridays and somewhere along the way, they changed their original release dates to Wednesday. So I'm assuming Obi-Wan is going to be Wednesday going forward. I think they just did it on Friday last week to time it with the Star Wars celebration. But before we get all of that, a quick few pieces of news one of which just broke hours before we hopped on the mic and that Johnny Depp has won his defamation lawsuit that he filed against Amber Heard in March of 2019, the court and the jury said it in favor of Depp and ordered Heard to pay him $15 million damages for defamation. I believe Johnny Depp also had to pay her 2 million, but the bottom line, the black and white, the long and short is that Johnny Depp won. Mm-hmm. And I, nor you, um, we probably could talk about the trial in and of itself in terms sure. of like how it proliferated throughout the culture. But to me, that's everybody's talking about that and it's draining <laughs> and it's exhausting. And it's, and it's frankly something that I have, it, it is the epitome of an opinion that I've held for a long time. And it is that internet and social media is the worst thing to happen to mankind ever, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. I really don't want to focus on that. Cause that's not, sure. not really what we do on the show. What I want to focus on, 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 for our show is what this means for Johnny Depp. Cause mm-hmm. I was looking through his filmography and the last movie that he had released was last year's uh, Minamata, which was a film about like a uh, photo journalist taking photos on some nuclear waste plant. But that <laughs> film took like years to even get released. And I don't think it had a proper rollout in the no, United States. Um, And prior to that, I mean, you look back through the films, so we're now in 2022, you look back in the films that he's done, and I would say his last major film is 2018's Fantastic Beast 2. So basically half a decade where he's been virtually, I guess, blackballed, because this is a guy who was probably considered one of the top 10 A-list stars, certainly in terms of men, and then he was gone. And now in his statement, he says that the jury has given me my life back. And I tweeted... I could see Johnny Depp winning best actor within the next five years. I think his re-ingratiation into Hollywood's A-list is going to be that swift and that total. That not only is he going to be welcomed back into the graces of headlining films, but people are going to want to reward him right or wrong for the shit that he's been through. Again, Mm -hmm. I am not here to speak whether this determination means Johnny Depp was right or Johnny Depp was wrong. All I know is that this is going to essentially fix his career that is sort of my <laughs> big take on it, and I'm just curious
1: on what yours is because for all your adult life Johnny yeah. Depp has been embroiled in this shit <laughs> pretty much yeah like uh the last Johnny Depp movie I saw in theaters was the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie mm. um which 2011 yeah and incredibly unforgettable movie or not, it was a forgettable, forgettable movie i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it, it's interesting too because like after that movie i feel like that's when he started to kind of uh lose his career luster and this was still before the amber heard stuff there was a period probably like a five-year period where post that pirates movie he had one more pirates movie after that that i i've never seen um
0: mm,
1: it's that, even worse like, yeah yeah, that's what i've heard uh that like never really went anywhere like it it feels like he was in like that mordecai movie which was not good and like that's a good point
0: it's not to say that his career was at its peak when all this went down but there's a difference between putting out shit and putting
1: out nothing at all yes exactly (laughs) uh so i i think there is a chance if if hollywood thinks that he I, i think any studio head is looking at this right now and going no matter what, we can get him in here and we'll just make money. Like, as shitty as that might be, like, he has cultivated a new following. Johnny Depp has always had a big following, but, like, this is another level. There are people who are championing this guy because of everything here. So I think just on on that level, he's going to be in something in the next five years. Is it going to be a Marvel movie? Probably not. Is it going to be Star Wars? Probably not. But it'll probably be But a DC movie? Maybe, I don't know. Like something out of left field? You I don't know. What know. I mean? like, that could be interesting. Johnny Jeff is Constantine.
0: It might I, have just been
1: a freebie right there for that's, him. That's, <laughs> no, that's not a bad idea. I kind of like that. J.J. Abrams is developing one. We'll see if that ever comes to fruition. But the interesting thing about that is now Amber Heard is in D.C. And will she continue? It sounds like they've already been kind of trying to, regardless of whatever this outcome is going to be, sweep her under the rug yeah. to some extent whether that be completely remove her or minimize her role. They have already done that.
0: Yes. I think Aquaman 2 will be her last time in that role.
1: I think so too. And then I don't see her, you know, right or wrong, like I don't see her getting more roles after this just purely because of the public perception. I am very curious to see how this impacts the Aquaman 2 box office because of just like, you know, what does that do people care enough that they won't go see that movie now? Or are they not going to market it? or she's definitely not going to be impressed for that movie? I think that's probably safe to say. Um, first movie, massive hit over a billion dollars. Does that movie, does that sequel retain that momentum or does this hurt it? That's yeah. my question.
0: Yeah, I think the key factor in all of this that, yes, the opinion of the actual court matters greatly. But in the days and weeks leading up to it, you could sort of sense that the court of public opinion already made up their mind. Yes. And that the official ruling allowed them to validate that choice. But it seems like people were already had made up their mind that they, and again, I'm sure that this is not a widespread case, but just in my circles, in the internet spheres that I'm in it seems like the consensus was we're on Depp's side here so yes. I, I think that that transition back into who Johnny Depp was and used to be is going to be quite quickly now like you just touched on or, or like I just threw out there do I see him landing a Constantine type role no but do I see him getting like a needy supporting part that could already get him in like the best supporting conversation because remember he's almost 60 too it's not like yeah. he, I mean Physically, how much longer can he suit up, you know, as an action star? Right. A few more years, maybe. But he's still Johnny Depp, who has charisma out the ass. So I could totally see dramatic directors being like, now's our chance.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think the supporting role is probably going to be the move. And then maybe at some point that elevates to another leading role. Probably, again, like you said, he's aging so uh, like I'm agent. sure
0: I'm um, I'm sure Christopher Nolan has already picked up the phone. Like, hey, do you also want to join the cast of Oppenheimer? And Johnny,
1: I've got room for you. <laughs> do you want to play the nuke? Um, so yeah, you, you I, I, can be yeah. little boy. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> all right, Johnny Depp. Look, man. Again, I am. I'm only speaking from my perspective as a movie fan and not a legal expert. Right. But there's no denying. I used to be a huge Johnny Depp fan. So if this means that he is going to resuscitate a career that a lot of people once beloved and respected, I'm totally here for that. Next piece of news for the week. The Star Wars official Twitter accounts posted a statement about the racist vial being spewed at Obi-Wan Kenobi star Moses Ingram. Ewan McGregor himself also recorded a video condemning the treatment that she's received. Let me just start saying by this is all just a sack of shit. Mm -hmm. And the fact that any minority actor or actress who joins the Star Wars world has to essentially be debriefed and prepped (laughs) for this type of treatment is disgusting and speaks to the point that I made at the top that social media is the worst thing on earth. But what I do think is telling that Star Wars more so certainly in the past when fans treated Kelly Marie Tran or John Boyega like shit they have at least put in their foot in front of it and have tried to make for their standards a relatively strong statement. I'm not really sure exactly what to talk about in this regard because I while I wanted to have a conversation about what it is about Star Wars fandom that leads to these type of instances, the more that I've the more that I've thought about it is it's not a Star Wars problem. It's a societal problem, but Star Wars has a Star Wars always has a singular target to pick on. There right. is only like like they are able to all channel their racism towards Moses Ingram because she's on a show. Mm-hmm. They're racist towards all people, but because they're yeah. on it, because this one is on a show, they could chirp at her. So it's good to see Star Wars speak out about it. It's good to see you and McGregor speak out on it. It's just it bums me out that this is sort of the status quo these days.
1: I I think I can maybe slightly diagnose the problem here. I don't want to say diagnose, but identify. Um and that's because Star Wars is so big and has been so big for 50 years, something close to that. Right. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of generations involved from a lot of different eras where racism was more tolerated. Right. I'm not saying that's excusable in any sense, but uh, they think that it is allowed to just carry on and we've all moved beyond that. And that's not okay. And that is passed down. There are different, groups that really believe in these things still and that's again not okay and uh i think the the massive fan base and the long running timeline of this franchise has allowed a group of people from outside of star wars to then break into it and foster inside of it and create their own subsection of just hateful people and um I'm glad that you and McGregor and P- they're actually saying something about it now. Right. Like, it's not just like, Hey, don't do that. It's yeah. like, guys, oh, fuck, guys, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Come on. We can be nice. No, it's like, no, fuck you. You're not, you're not star Wars fans. That's what they're saying. And I think that's 100% valid. Um, and I, I think acknowledging it is the first step to, you know Mm, whether or not they change their mind it's probably not going to happen but will hopefully dissuade them from being part of this like you don't get to enjoy this anymore and i
0: think you make a good point about the age and the generational gap i think that that same argument could be made about the reverse side of the coin and the young side of the coin and the side of the fandom that has grown up online and on twitter and might not necessarily this this is something that i genuinely believe i think that People born after maybe the year, and sorry, Kate, I think this includes you. (laughs) After the year 2000, lacks a certain sense of interpersonal empathy because of how much of their communication through their life has been done through a screen, and that they haven't been able to properly register how the things they say affect other people in real time. Yes. you know, almost 30 and, and I, and not to get too heady here and we'll move on past this point, but this is sort of a microcosm of a feeling that I've felt the, over the last five years or so in comparison to where I felt we were in my teenage years. And that's, I feel like we're going fucking backwards. Mm-hmm. That is sort of what this makes me feel. And it's a major bummer. And so let me just say post-cred pod, Cade and me don't stand for that shit whatsoever. And irregardless like this shouldn't matter at all Moses Ingram is great in this show and not only that I realize she's like the foster care roommate from Queen Gambit and she's fucking incredible in that too so shout out to her keep killing it we will be talking about her character later when we dive into Obi-Wan Kenobi alright let's get through some quick hitters before we have a little discussion about Top Gun Maverick and Tom Cruise. The Suicide Squad breakout Daniela Melchior will appear in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 confirms James Gunn. I'm not sure what role she'll be playing. Isabella Merced has been cast in Madam Webb alongside Dakota Johnson and Sydney Sweeney. Uh, Netflix will reportedly reshift its film strategy in an effort to make bigger, fewer, and better films. I like how Hollywood is realizing, like fuck, maybe these things actually have to be good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> People have had fucking enough, and they're just like, oh damn it. We, you we caught won't. us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, New Warner Bros. Discovery CEO David Zaslav has asked Joker director Todd Phillips to do more in the DC universe and potentially act as an advisor. Uh, There are a lot of lessons to be learned from Joker. I'm not sure giving Todd Phillips the keys to the kingdom was one of them. No, I so it's good. So it's good to know that they still have no idea what the hell they're doing over there. <laughs> Jesus, just put me in charge at this point. Obi Wan Kenobi is officially Disney Plus's most watched original series premiere. Rachel Zegler to star in the Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Steaks. This girl is racking up IP like it's yeah. nobody's business. West Side Story, Shazam, Two, Snow White, and now this. Those are her good first hair. four movies. What an absurd start. Oh, Cade, your boy. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not your boy, anymore. but yeah. no <laughs> Don't time say to, that. <laughs> yeah, no time to die. Director Carrie Fukunaga reportedly, quote, repeatedly crossed professional lines using his sets to openly pursue much younger female cast and crew members, as per a report from Rolling Stone. The Rock says the first trailer for Black Adam will drop on June 8th. Dave Filoni will direct multiple episodes of Ahsoka. And Bryce Dallas Howard is returning to direct the Season 3 episode of The Mandalorian. Woo! All right, Kay, let's talk about what I would imagine is your favorite topic of the week, considering you've seen this, what, three times already? Twice. Twice? Twice? All right. We were going to talk about Top Gun Maverick for a bit. Now, we, Kate already shared his review last week. I shared mine a few weeks ago. So we're going to be diving into a bit more of an in-depth discussion now. Given that Top Gun isn't necessarily a plot-heavy film, uh, we're not going to be breaking it down in the way that we do usual projects Mm -hmm. like we will Obi-Wan later. We're going to be having more of an overarching discussion about why this worked in the culture, why this worked for us personally, and what we want to see from this franchise or movies in general going forward. So let's start with how much is made. It has been a historic weekend for Top Gun as it broke the Memorial Day weekend record with 156 million dollars domestic and 248 million worldwide. It is the best opening for Tom Cruise's career, which was previously held by MI6. Uh so that's Fallout, which opened with wow, wow, which opened to 61 and a half domestic and 155 million worldwide. So right. he's virtually almost doubled the output. And your first question here, since this is your sort of topic, I want you to take the lead and lead our discussion. Your first question is, is Tom Cruise the last true movie star? And I think that that question needs to be granulated a little bit in mm. terms of, is he the last blockbuster sure. movie star? Cause I think you could turn around and look at a film like once upon a time in Hollywood People showed up to that film because right. of Leo and Brad, right? The likes of Leo and Brad are still able to sell films on their own name. Yep. But something that I brought up when we talked about Top Gun a week or so ago is I can't picture any other star getting this kind of film made so if Brad Pitt came out and said hey I want to make (laughs) 7-2 I I, I imagine he would have a harder time getting that over the line than Tom Cruise did with Top Gun 2 not only that but I think that whereas like Leo and Brad are you know what will be a fascinating comp how well Bullet Train does because that is essentially an original action thriller starring Brad Pitt. Now, Top Gun had built-in IP, and not only built-in IP, but, like, iconic IP. Like, Top Gun is as American as apple pie and baseball at this point. So Tom Cruise (laughs) obviously had that going for him. But in the sense of, is he the last movie star who could – make practical fight scenes in a fucking fighter jet and set records for his career. And and I will admit we're not quite in the pandemic the way we were a year ago, but things aren't the way they were five years ago when Infinity War was doing all sorts of crazy shit either. (laughs) So I think the answer to your question is yes and no. I think he's the last true blockbuster star. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if he's still the last, because to me movie star is, you're going to see that film because of the star. And Mm -hmm. I still think there's probably three, four, five, six guys Guys that are like that but it, when it comes to like action blockbuster summer temple he's probably the last of a dying grade.
1: yeah i i would agree i'd say like tom holland is another one that i think is on the come up for that position not at the level that tom cruise is but like, he
0: needs to start to make good films i know
1: i know <laughs> that's the problem spider-man is really all he's got and even when he does something outside of spider-man he's still kind of playing spider-man with uncharted and stuff. Um, but I think Tom Cruise has a power, uh, some Scientology power or something that no one else has, because um, he he achieves so much because he can say no, right? Like they've been wanting to do this Top Gun sequel for a really really long time. Paramount's been coming like, hey, is it time? He's like, no, we're not ready until you give me an idea and we can do it at the way I want to do it. We're not doing it and finally it happened and he was able to say yes finally let's do it and get everything he wanted get all these top gun fighter pilots to fly them through valleys and crazy shit and do it how he wanted um that's a power and and there's been a lot of uh interviews that have like discussed how he got every actor to come on board like Glenn Powell was going to walk away from this movie because he wanted the part of Rooster and he lost it to Miles Teller and um Tom Cruise was like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. You need to stay because here's how. And he was like, well, oh, I want to be the next Tom Cruise. I want to do this and that. And he's like, listen, I didn't do that because I took great roles. I made great roles. And so Glenn Powell was like, fuck. Okay, yeah, man. that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and, and Tom Cruise apparently worked with him to make a new character and build it and make it iconic. And that's awesome. And apparently Glenn Powell fought for his last scene in the movie, which in my theater got cheers. So people really like this character and it worked. So the the power he has to give in studios, actors, directors, writers, whoever may be, is incredible. And obviously he was a big driving factor for a lot of people coming to the theater to see this movie, I think. So, yes, I, I think for a blockbuster star, he's he's uh, he's up there. <laughs> So one are the next
0: things that you have here, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I think your follow-up questions sort of are the answer. And mm-hmm. you're, you're curious, as am I, why is this the Tom Cruise of all films that seems to hit home, that that is hit home in this way, that it's virtually doubling MI6's box office? But then your next two questions are, did the practical effects have a significant impact on your enjoyment of the film, and should more... Films attempt this kind of stuff. And you also asked, is this movie's success this a sign that a sign that audiences are hungry for non-Marvel DC Star Wars content? And I think those latter two are the answers to the first one. The reason sure. that this is doing so well, yes, the Top Gun IP is there, but I, as a moviegoer, have never seen stunts like this. Now, would Top Gun have done as well if Tom Cruise was not in it? Of course not. But there is an undeniable factor of, and this is why he was so adamant about it being in theaters, of this being a truly unique theater experience. Like I remember watching it, and even though I knew it was real, not believing that it was real. Like I'm like you tell me you got these movie stars in these fighter jets to do this (laughs) like that it it warps the brain to almost think about it. Especially when you the film does a good job of explaining it, the rigors of becoming one of these fucking pilots. So I think that that's one. I think that the practical nature of this film makes it a draw. Secondly, yes, I do think that people are hungry for non-Marvel DC Star Wars content, but I think that that case is a little hard to make when this is still IP, right? So this was like, you know, you look back to Jack Reacher. It's not like that flew off the shelf, right? (laughs) So there is an element of it being IP and franchise, which is why it's doing well. But what I think this speaks to is that this feels like the perfect reboot, wherein Mm. Top Gun was a film that I, generationally, and I know that there are people who are like, Top Gun's the shit, but for me, it thematically, tonally felt too dated. And I feel Mm. the same way about West Side Story. There are unique cases where An argument could be made that updating a film for a modern fan base introduces it to an entire new fan base. So I think that while the IP is inherent in it, this feels like not so much Top Gun 2, but as more so Top Gun Reborn. And that here's what people loved about this film back then retrofitted for modern fans and so that is why i think it works is that people feel like they're being given a worthy sequel that doesn't feel like a cash grab that feels like a legitimate modern update with that it's also sort of an old school blockbuster with its practical effects on scale
1: yeah there, there's something to be said like yes the ip is huge but like again this movie's coming out almost 40 years after the first one right there are people who were alive with the first movie that are not alive anymore?
0: <laughs> but people <laughs> I say conversely, there are people
1: who are aware of what Top Gun is who have sure. never seen it. Yes, exactly. Like uh a lot of people I know have gone and seen this movie. Like, I don't know, I never saw the first one. And like there are callbacks to the first one, both nostalgia-based and plot-wise, but uh it, it is a movie that largely stands on its own, and it's an accessible movie in that sense. And, so you have the IP. So people who were in high school when this movie came out, get to go see it and relive that. And you have people who are just like, I just want to see a new movie. And like, this is the one, this is the hype train. Everyone's talking about this. A lot of people I know who don't go to the movies, went and saw this movie opening weekend. I'm like, you went and saw that? And they're like, yeah, I fucking loved it. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, there's also something to be said, I think, about, all of the formats they've released this movie in IMAX 40 X and that screen X, which is the one that has the, um, walls are also screen. Have you ever seen one of these, at least advertisements for it?
0: Uh, no, but
1: it's I, a, but
0: I get the gist of it.
1: It's a bizarre idea, but like, it's a screen in the middle and then the, there are two screens on the side and usually it's just like CG stuff that they add in, in post, but this movie, uh, they put cameras on the sides of the planes. And so they were actually able to add, additional footage for the movie in this format. So you get an extra level of experience. And like the fact that there are different ways to see this movie and experience it in completely different ways is also incredibly cool. So I I really love that. That's just really unique to me. And then I'd say
0: one of the things that are really carrying this film is that despite the fact that it is a massive blockbuster that relies on sights and sounds, it is a emotional film to its core. It is a nostalgic film to its core. It is a earnest film to its core. And I brought this up to John Hamm when we spoke, it's earnest without being corny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is another reason why it's doing so well. So not only are you going to see a film that's going to blow your brain apart, but it's going to tug at your heart too. And when you're doing both of those things, you know, to quote the meme, this is cinema, right? Like that is <laughs> yeah. when you're thrilling the mind and heart, there's really not much else you could do. So let's zoom in there a bit. I would say that the emotional core of this film was Maverick's relationship struggles with Rooster that are more complicated than just he's perceived to be responsible for Goose's death, his subsequent guilt over Goose's death, and then the nostalgia wrapped into it all. So what did you think about the film's heart, Kate? Uh
1: We're probably going to spoil some stuff here, right? Yeah. Spoiler yeah. warning, spoiler so,
0: warning, spoiler. spoiler warning, spoiler warning.
1: I was very surprised at how invested i was into that because like like you said I, I i the first top gun's a little corny like there are touching moments but nothing that i'm like oh goose you know i was never really that invested in it but in this movie i was like fuck. when he's sitting outside the bar watching uh, Rooster sing great balls of fire, and he just has this look on his face, and Jennifer Connelly spots it and and kind of realizes like, oh, this is actually affecting him. I was like, oh, that's that's amazing. And Tom Cruise—it's a great
0: dramatic turn from Cruise for sure.
1: Yes, he 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 does some good acting in this movie with just like his eyes and his face that I really appreciate. Um, but this scene, the Val Kilmer scene, and some other stuff—it um, it is a strong point that i think has the greatest payoff of like many movies of just like they're embracing they're hugging and uh it's just like so happy you're just like man boys being boys let's fucking go it's just a good time And, and there's a scene where he's he's in bed with jennifer connelly and um he's telling her like i can't tell him that his mom asked me to do this because then he'll resent her. And then he's thinking like, but if I send him on this mission, I could lose him forever. So like, regardless, he's like, I, it's a lose, lose situation for me. And he's at this like really uh, conflicting point that it's just like, there's so much drama here that I just wasn't expecting. And it's very moving. You're just like, man, I, I'm shocked by how much I care about this.
0: I wanted to, And what it does well is you're able to connect to Maverick, even if you may not have connected to him in the exactly. first film. Yeah, um, probably the crux of the emotion as it is in most film is the third act and whether or not our two heroes are gonna live. Now, the debate is do you think Maverick would die? Because the film certainly, while I wouldn't say teases it, given the sort of um, like you said, like that scene of him longingly looking in on a rooster, like it just had a very sort of farewell-ish vibe to it. And had this film been made. 20 years ago, prior to the franchise vacation of Hollywood, I would have said yes, he would have died, like a uh, gladiator. Not Mm -hmm. War for, but in the sense of like, to really hammer home that emotional punch Mm -hmm. in the end. But because we live in a world where, if Top Gun 2 does well, why would we not make Top Gun 3? I never really expected him to die. Now, I didn't think that this film would do as well as it's been doing, but I also thought it would do well enough that killing off the film's namesake was never going to happen. But the flip side of that coin is, should he have died? What do you mean by that? Plotting-wise, would it have made a better story if he died? Thematically, would it have made more sense? What exactly do
1: you mean by that? So I I think this movie hammered in that he was going to die, in my opinion. There are multiple moments where... He he has this like big goodbye to Jennifer Connelly in the the white navy gear, and then he tells Rooster uh, as they're about to t- say something on the the tarmac, he's like, "We'll talk when we get back." I'm like, "You're not fucking coming back. It's over." Right, sorry, right, right, uh, right, right. And there's a lot of other things like that. That's like he's so dead. It's so so fucking over for him. And and so I was expecting it, and then in the in the movie, the plane goes up, and he sacrifices himself. And I was like, that's it. That's over. And I guess what I mean is like, would that sacrifice have meant more for the emotional through line of the story? I mean, or yeah, you okay absolutely. With- yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the scene where they bury Iceman alone, I could only imagine if they did that same thing for Maverick.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting because Tom Cruise, as far as I know, has never died in a movie, like in the heroic that's leading man role as far right. as i can think right um so i was like is this the one and, you know because it seems like at some point in your career you, you got to do it i'm sure uh, there was a draft of the script in which he dies sure yeah and and i was like someone has to come out of this movie dead because throughout the movie they also hammer it this is the most dangerous thing anyone's ever fucking done in their lives <laughs> and i'm like all right and he says no one someone's not coming back from this i'm like yeah it's you buddy and uh I was just so gearing up for it and when he wakes up in the snow I was like oh my god not only is he still alive we're getting Maverick on the ground doing some cool like espionage shit almost yeah and now Rooster's here and I thought maybe he was gonna die at this point and then there's a lot of fake outs in this movie like there are like five different death fake outs and Uh, Even at the very end, when that other fighter plane is coming towards them, I thought that was Hangman and he was going after them because he thought. It was an enemy f-14 right 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 i thought that's what was happening and then i rewatched the movie and they say oh it's an f-14 it's maverick but in that moment i wasn't i didn't catch that and so i was like oh my god he's gonna kill them
0: (laughs) i knew he'd save them i was thinking to myself there's no way they're gonna let them get this close yeah yeah. uh and then the final point here i'm gonna leave to you do you want to see a top gun 3 or should they leave it alone
1: tom cruise was able to uh Keep them away for 36 years, you know, and make sure they didn't make it until it was right. So I, I feel like if they do it again, they'll do it when it's right and not do it because there's pressure. But I, at the same time, physically, like, though, physically, and as much credit as you out. want to give Tom yeah. Cruise, Cruise has a ticking clock here, he oh, doesn't have physically, years. right? So as much yeah.
0: credit as you want to give Tom Cruise for being able to extend the movie star action star lifespan which he undoubtedly has done and will continue to do the literal physicality of performing these stunts are different than like running and jumping you know what yeah. i mean like the g-force does things to your body that an older man i don't think could take so
1: if they were going to do it i think that they've got a clock of about five years yeah i think so too so then going up with something in five years i'm down for it but at the same time i'm like can you capture that lightning in a bottle again because yeah. like there's the, this movie i think we've talked about it the first movie has like a 50 something percent rating on rotten tomatoes the second one has like an almost 100 yeah. like the fact that there's such a wide margin there is insane and just like i've only seen like three people who didn't like this movie and that even then they're like it was just okay you know yeah. like so uh i would take. love to see it but yeah i know i agree uh i would love to see it but um I'm I have uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about something like that, I think.
0: I think if there's anything we've learned that if there's one person we should trust to pull it off, it's Tom Cruise. I think so too, yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 3. All right, and we are back. Obi-Wan Kenobi, part three. The episode opens with Obi-Wan attempting to reach out to Qui-Gon Jinn, telling him that Anakin is coming. Darth Vader gets suited up and then converses with Reva, telling her if she captures Obi-Wan, she'll become Grand Inquisitor, and if she fails, she'll die. Real, uh, <laughs> real stark choices there. Obi-Wan and Leia are on a ship to the planet Mapuzo, where Leia questions Obi-Wan about the Force as he fixes her droid. He says, have you ever been afraid of the dark? How does it feel when you turn on the light? And that is what he equates the Force to. Leia and Obi-Wan hitch a ride through the desert of Mapuzo. Along the way, Obi-Wan sees a vision of Anakin in the distance, and they encounter and defeat some stormtroopers. They're then saved by Injury of Varma's Imperial Officer Tala, who smuggles them to what is effectively a Jedi Underground Railroad. Before they can escape, Darth Vader arrives on Marpuso and starts to attack the locals in search of Obi-Wan, who sends Leia with Tala and tries to escape. Obi-Wan is confronted and defeated by Darth Vader. Obi-Wan asks, what have you become? To which he replies, I am what you made me. Darth Vader drags him through fire with the Force as revenge, telling him his suffering has only just begun. While Obi-Wan is then saved by Tala and her droid, comes at the cost of losing Leia, who is captured by Reva. Okay. Part three, continuing what has been, I think, even for people who had the highest expectations for the show, mm-hmm. what has been a remarkably thrilling opening half of the show. Cade, you tweeted out, you think this is peak Star Wars and maybe one of your favorite Star Wars things ever. So why don't you give us a quick overview of your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I like the first two episodes quite a bit, but there were things that I was just not gelling with in this episode. Leia. Yeah, namely the this episode resolved all of that. I like her way more in this one. I think she's much more natural and uh, less trying to emulate Carrie Fisher. And just and more she's of, less quippy.
0: It's yeah. Just, it, it's that simple.
1: There's less corny jabs yeah. and jokes. Exactly. And I'm like, this is what a child who's been kidnapped and is now in a place she doesn't know, a, a man she doesn't know, right? Uh, should probably be feeling. Um, And I was like, this is cool. And you're seeing... Obi-Wan just fall apart more and more and more. Now he's seeing visions of Anakin. He's having these like tremors and stuff. And he's he's scared out of his fucking mind. And as they're deconstructing Obi-Wan, his fears, his need to call for Qui-Gon, all these different things, they're starting to build him back up slowly and slowly and slowly. And I'm loving it. it it's, it's the perfect... Uh, like Deborah Chow compared this to Logan and I think that that comparison is starting to strengthen a lot more as, as this goes on specifically in this episode. And uh, I think the dramatic weight is balanced well with the fan service moments um, and they mesh very well together. And I'm, I'm really digging it.
0: One of my favorite parts about this week and this show as a whole is the way in which it's paced. Whereas, and again, I'm trying my hardest not to consistently shit on it, but whereas (laughs) <laughs> Boba Fett, there were moments and scenes where we're like, what is the point of this scene? Where is this leading? What am I learning from this? Every single scene of this show seems to interlock with the next. And not only interlock, but it feels like it propol- um. What's the verb for propulse? Propel. Oh, propels. <laughs> And it yeah. feels like it propels each following scene. Everything leads from point A to point B to point C. And in the middle of that, they're able to, as you said, sort of fix some characterizations that they may have gotten wrong in the first place. So, what could have been a boring scene of Obi-Wan and Leia going from point A to point B, a literal, a literal, um, like, whereas like an exposition dump is when they just explain story, like a literal exposition scene change. They're like, All right, we're going from Dayu to Mapuso, make sure you know that. But they use that scene to strengthen the relationship between the pair. Obi-Wan fixes her droid, he gives her a remarkably beautiful and concise summary of what Force feels like. And you legitimately buy the strengthening bond between those two in the quiet moments and in the loud moments where he's literally saving her ass. So you don't find yourself waiting for the next action scene because not only do you know it's going to come, but you know it's going to fit in well. Like we had talked about last week when we think Obi-Wan is going to use his saber, And we were largely right. You especially because you said end of episode three, even though that I pointed out to you, he didn't really seem all that thrilled about yeah. his hand was kind of forced. But yeah. my point here is that I think that the structure and the pacing of the show is so sound and tight that you and I, as avid culture consumers, were able to sort of look into the future structure of the show and think, here's where I think this point is going to happen. And that's mm-hmm. when it did. Now, you could say, well, is it good that you could predict what's to come? Well, when you're able to predict what's to come because of what you have learned about the character and the story, then that's absolutely a good thing. The story has told us here is where our character is at. Us as the audience are able to consume that, process it, register, and think, here's where I see it going from here because that would make the most sense. And that is exactly
1: what we have gotten this week. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think there's a big issue with people being like, oh, the plot was so predictable of just anything. Like I could probably have told you when I saw Walla La Land that they're going to get together, they're going to break up and maybe get back together again, but maybe also break up like but that doesn't matter like it's the character, the emotion, it's execution right and that's what this show is doing it is like, yes you know he's going to fight Darth Vader and stuff but it's execution because I don't know if they're going to fight again. It seems like they, they probably will Absolutely. because he sets up like this is the beginning. Right? So but.
0: so he so Obi-Wan, as far as I see it, he won round one on uh, in, in uh, Seth. Yeah, <laughs> now he's now lost round two and he will eventually lose round four in <laughs> sure. um, A New Hope. So I think yeah. round three is going to our boy. Sure, that's fair. Yeah, Because remember, this ends with them getting Leia, which we right. know is not where a new hope starts. So, yes, Obi-Wan is going to have to get back on that
1: saddle and man up. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, So, yeah, it's all an execution, because like when we were all probably thinking a year ago and they said this was going to happen, like, oh, it's going to be the epic fight and they're going to and it'll probably get there. But like the first fight is Obi-Wan's. I don't want to say it, a pussy like he is running away like he does not want this smoke and fair play because fucking Michael Myers and the Terminators after him and it's terrifying <laughs> and that's uh, a great comparison it, I mean that's all it is it's just like a guy who's just like shows up in front of him and, and just it's terrifying and uh I, it's it's cool to have the inverse again execution is everything doesn't matter if it's predictable so uh I, I've just been loving that. And I i don't know if we're gonna talk too much about Vader, but um okay, yeah, we are. Never mind. I'll leave it for that. Perfect. One of
0: my probably next favorite things, actually, probably my ultimate favorite thing about the show, and as we touched on last week, and as you just brought up, is sort of the character study of Obi Wan and the very Logan-esque way in which this story is being told. And the word that you use is quite stark, and that is he's being a pussy, mm-hmm. and I love this. When I tell you I love this, I fucking love this because his outright fear in facing Darth Vader, while it is objectively pathetic mm-hmm. and also heartbreaking, it's wildly real and mm-hmm. compelling. So if you're him, you've spent the last 10 years thinking that this person who you ultimately wrong, the greatest failure in, in your life was dead. So while you have regrets over it, you think to yourself, Well, at least the story stopped there. Yeah. Guess what? Nope, you're wrong. So his greatest regret and fear in life has literally now come to life, right? It's like a walking ghost. Okay, so there's that. Not only that, but said walking ghost, as you just put it, is a combination of the Terminator and Michael Myers. So not only is he now having to face his living fear, but his living fear is the most all-conquering force of evil in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And then see he just doesn't have it anymore he ain't that dude the way that i put it is he's basically like logan without those steroids like mm-hmm. before he juices himself right, up yeah. that is where obi-wan is at at this point and i find that and the reason that i say that i know that they're gonna fight again is because as much as we want to maybe give this show credit for leaning into darth vader's brutality and his pure evil the lasting impression of obi-wan that this show is going to leave us with is not going to be damn he got his ass whooped you know what i mean like there is going to be a moment where he redeems himself in that sense but until we get to that point him being as we talked about essentially this galaxy superhero and having such evident relatable feel for the first time in star wars it feels like the characters in that world are as scared as darth vader as we are like in those first three films, Leia would like shit talk them. Han Solo and them. And when they got screwed by like Lando, they all sit down at a table. And yes, I'm sure they're terrified, but the fact is they're squaring off with them face to face. Obi-Wan is literally talking tail and running. So to see a character of such esteem brought down to these lows have the emotional, mental, physical, spiritual piss beat out of him in all directions. Not only is he catching heat from the Sith, he's catching heat from Owen. He's got to watch Leia. He's got responsibility to the Organas and to Qui-Gon. And so the way, and you said, it, the way that they're deconstructing Obi-Wan and bringing him down to what I think next week will begin the process of bringing him back up, to me has been fascinating because, you know, Compare Obi-Wan now to how we saw Luke in Mando season two, right? He was a fucking tank. Nothing in the galaxy could stop him, but this is a completely different ideology of what a hero in the Star Wars world could look like. It is a different ideology than they've ever really shown us with the Jedi. Like the Jedi, like... Yoda would fail and then he would fuck off and like mm-hmm. leave. Right. But now we're seeing a Jedi live with their failure and having to right those wrongs while that failure tries to suck them back into the past. It's just working extremely well on a character level. And that is ultimately what these shows are for.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 have you ever seen those memes of like guy gets broken up and he goes to the gym?
0: Uh, I need something more specific, but I I don't know. Just like
1: he goes to the gym and he's like, I'm going to I'm going to make her regret it. Right. And he's going to work his ass off in the gym. That is Darth Vader right now. That is Anakin Skywalker. He's had 10 years to make (laughs) Obi-Wan fucking regret it. He's like, I'm going to hit this fucking weights and you'll see in 10 years patience is this guy's virtue right now. Um yeah, it's 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 a tremendous uh amount of confidence I think to be able to say we're going to spend 3 hours with a guy that you love. The guy you've wanted to see a TV show about for at least 10 years if not more and we're going to make him look pathetic. And to have the confidence to go for it and really not just like make him seem like weak. No, this guy is at the lowest of the low, right? and 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 sell that to the fullest extent good on you mcgregor for wanting to do that and not wanting to be seen as the toughest of the tough um is is so awesome and it's also very cool i think leia is just a reminder of his failure right like this is his you know failure failed mentor or uh, failed padawan's child and he has to take care of it on his behalf essentially it's like that's that's a crazy layer yeah. um and, and it's just there there's all this interweaving drama and like it's a very simply told story but all of the layers to it are there and if you're a really big star wars fan and a big fan of the the tragedy of anakin skywalker and obi-wan kenobi you're probably eating this up So let's
0: swing to Darth, who is, I wouldn't say the main character of this one, but this felt very much like, here's your Darth, right? Like, you want Darth Vader? Here's Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I want to say quick is I was was struck by his lines. Like, I felt like he was basically like a rapper spitting like one-liner Sith bars. Mm -hmm. He says in this, I am what you made me. The years have made you weak, and you should have killed me when you had the chance. That is like a that is like a triple crown of like villainous sayings. You know what yeah, I mean? So, like yeah. I, so I just like love how like a little cliche, but it works in the context of their relationship. All these lines work and it sort of adds to that pathos of teacher and student, failed master and failed apprentice. Right. Um but I think the aspect of Darth Nader that Darth Darth Nader. <laughs> It's like the Spaceballs version. (laughs) Darth Vader that struck me most, and this is what struck people most the last time we saw him in Rogue One, was his brutality. As we touched on in the top, he tells Reva either succeed or die. Mm -hmm. He goes through the town square slaying innocent women and children for no other reason than he wants to. And he literally tortures Obi-Wan. Now, do you think that Any Star Wars creative who gets their hand on Darth Vader are sort of making up for lost time. Because what I find fascinating about Darth Vader is he famously in in like a new hope, right, was only on screen for eight minutes Mm -hmm. or the same thing that goes with Boba Fett in those OG films there villainy and their aura was largely based on reputation and not actual tangible screen time right so every time i've seen darth one in a mod Darth one jesus <laughs> Darth Vader in a modern context such as rogue one or like this i feel like they're going above and beyond to illustrate just how fucking terrifying this guy would be and i think that that is sort of whether it be the scene of him suiting up or him slaying women and children or (laughs) him even having a casual conversation with one of his minions they try so hard to make you and everyone in the galaxy utterly terrified of him and i think they succeeded wholly here
1: yeah uh there is like I think it's, I think it's like a teenage boy at one point goes like, Hey, get off my dad or whatever. And he just pushes him against the wall and snaps his neck without, without even fucking turns. Like, you know, I would turn this knob. And we were talking
0: (laughs) last week, how we gave them a little credit for the fact that they had Reva cut that chick's hand off, but then there was no blood and no screaming. They didn't cut the camera here. They showed that kid's neck
1: snap. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, th- I know there were some concerns going into this series about the darkness and the tone, like, oh, Kathleen Kennedy is gonna make it super light and not dark enough. I-, I don't believe that at all. Like, that is fucking ridiculous to say at this point. Um, because Darth Vader, like, just destroys this village of people. And then he does, he... He burns Obi Wan alive as he was burnt in Revenge of the Sith, right? Like he's just doing like I imagine if they if they do another little torture scene of Obi Wan, it's going to be something else. Like he's going to like be like, this is something I've had to deal with. Now you have to deal with. It. I don't but know. What that's that could a be, bummer.
0: But that's a bummer in light of the conversation we had in terms of surprise versus suspense. There's right. no, there's no lingering limb for him to lose. Yes, exactly. Like we know, we know he gets out of this relatively unscarred. So they're either going to have to find a emotional way to do it or like an under the shirt kind of burn type thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I was like, you you never see uh, Alec Guinness take a shirt off or anything in the, the original movie. So this is plausible. Um, something that uh, I also just thought of is, uh, The little moment where he does the force push against Obi Wan, um, that leaked like three months ago on YouTube, and like everyone thought it was fake. Oh, really? And I found it and was like, oh yeah, that's that's real. Wow, I did not catch that. Um, but yeah, the the brutality here is is so awesome. Like that, we really prior to the movies had only ever seen the video games. I think like the Force Unleashed has like the opening levels. You're just going through Kashyyyk, just fucking people up as Darth Vader. And uh, I I think being able to show that and demonstrate that and both verbally and through his actions is um, terrifying. And I never thought I'd be this excited to see Darth Vader again, just because I know him so well at this point that I was like, holy shit, I'm like a kid in a fucking candy store. I'm sitting on my stomach looking up at the TV like, wow, this guy's so cool.
0: (laughs) And that's hard to do, right? To reach the other, I mean, Darth Vader is thought of as one of the greatest villains in the history of American cinema, right? Yeah. So to have that bar ever present, always hanging over your head and to be able to not only reach it, but clear it to the extent that fans, as far as I've seen today, are losing their fucking minds over this version of Darth Vader. That's a hard thing to do. And the fact that they pulled it off, it's like, you know, it's almost like, look how thoroughly Jared has been cooked for his Joker, right? <laughs> like, if you take the slightest misstep, mm-hmm. people are going to know and they're going to be mm-hmm. on your fucking ass about it. So to hit the bar here, it's great. Let's talk about Darth Vader and Obi-Wan's duel. Sure. I mean, we talked about this a bit since you brought it up. I wrote it down like this. Surely they'll duel again. Mm-hmm. I am 100% confident. That, but how did you feel about the fight? As I said it before, it struck me as sort of a Logan without the steroids. He's very weak, very subdued. I love how Vader catches Obi-Wan off guard, and the only reason he unsheaths his saber is because he has no other choice. So Mm -hmm. I did like I like the aesthetic of them being in the middle of a dark desert, and all you could see the lights of their blades. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of the force awakens yeah the closing battle on that snow planet or on the death planet whatever Uh, like the (laughs) aesthetic of that was so sick and that reminded me of this and maybe choreographically it could have been a bit better but in terms of like suspense and plotting i enjoyed it i liked seeing our hero get his ass kicked because i know it's only going to lead to him coming back with an epic win later
1: yeah um there's a lot of cool details like Darth Vader uses one hand on his lightsaber. That's all yes. he needs. Why? And, and it's because... Because that's his that's only real arm? Well, I think it's just all he needs. Like, I think he's just that powerful. Yeah, he's yeah. just doing this. And Obi-Wan has to use his entire body, right? Yeah. Like, he's on the ground, basically, dual-handing this lightsaber, barely making it out, right? And so Darth Vader's just able to show him, like, I fucking got you. I'm, like, this is like a pencil for me. Just... And, and that is tremendously cool to me to just demonstrate that through without really calling attention to it just showing you there's a massive difference between these guys at this point and yeah like the choreography isn't anything crazy it reminded me of the original trilogy in some way where uh even like uh empire strikes back where darth vader is is largely pushing them backwards right like almost kind of like a boxer in a ring like get them against the ropes as much as you can right and and they're trying to back up and retreat because they don't know what to do against this guy which i think is pretty cool
0: yeah it's very like old school fencing duel esque. right yeah
1: yeah exactly and like so few-
0: I these these on guard ass motherfuckers
1: on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. guard darth vader all right um
0: yeah, yeah. go ahead Ken. i'm sorry no that's that's all i'd say final point that i have and then i'll let you close on him if you want I am usually not this guy. Like I'm someone who said to you last week the Leia thing didn't bother me because I essentially ignore all child actors. When Obi-Wan, when Vader and Obi-Wan are separated by the flames, right? And that droid who can't talk comes to save him. Why doesn't Vader just crush the droid with the force? It's it's an interesting question. It's almost as if and guy. my point would be, yeah. and then sorry. My point would be is that part of him enjoys the hunt because I think that's that's, yeah, other than a wild screenwriting oversight in which they showed how physically overpowering Vader is for the previous 20 minutes, and then over the and then in the last scene, he's separated by what 20 feet of flames, and he can't, and that stops him from using the force that is one of two things a
1: horrific oversight or he enjoys the hunt i think it's what you just said because he pushes obi-wan out of the fire he lets him go basically right and as he says he's like this is the beginning of your pain or whatever the hell he says and and so he's wants this to lead to just more maybe give obi-wan some hope like you got some time to go, but I'm coming after you. You can run, but you can't fucking hide from me. And, and so I think um, that is a really interesting idea. I mean, something I've, I forgot to mention this. Um, Wait, did you even notice that? What? Like my point. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Like he, he could have fucking killed the robot or whatever. Yeah. Right? yeah. No problem. I, I, I think he wants to let him go because like okay. I said, he pushes him out of the fire. He drags him through the middle of the fire and then right. Pushes right, him back right. out. So, right he's he's letting him go essentially uh but something I, I i loved is um when they're in the village he's killing all these people it's a, it's a nice call back to the first episode when the grand inquisitor is like the jedi are called to this like they have to step in and and i think vader is doing the same thing where he's killing people hoping it'll lure obi-wan out and obi-wan runs away and, and right it, it also goes back to what i said last week about like this is a guy that charged into fight general grievous in a room full of an army of droids and now he's on the run and, and it's that a is great so cool
0: and it's a great bait and switch because when he sends off Leia, you think he's going to have his like sheriff moment, right? He's going right. to step out in the town yeah, square yeah. and face him off one-on-one. Complete opposite. Yeah. He ducks tail and gets the fuck out of Dodge.
1: Yeah. 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 I know he said, he's like, I'm going to get him away. And I, I, I get that. That's also part of the same plan, but the, the idea would be I'm going to hold him off here and not somewhere else. So yeah, it's, it's so cool, man. All right. Let's
0: talk about Riva character that I'm, getting confused by so (laughs) i've seen in the last week there's speculation that she's one of the younglings in the opening scene Mm. and that would explain sort of her revilement towards jedi and why she said last week something along the lines of like you can't trust them don't help them because they wouldn't do the same for you so that would explain sort of why she's on this march but this character confused me because i feel like they're setting her up for some kind of twist i don't know if it's going to be a twist to the good side Mm. but the way in which her character is being handled whereas like she's trying to impress Darth Vader but also Darth Vader is the greatest threat on her life (laughs) at at the same time Mm. I just this character feels like she's going to have a resolving moment and I'm not sure what that is are you getting that same vibe?
1: Yes there's something off about her like because they're spending a lot of time on her she is like a secondary character right she is almost like the second protagonist in a way from the opposite side so it seems like there has to be some sort a heel twist with her beyond just like she accomplishes her goal. Cause I just don't mean that's an interesting arc. But I don't I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah. And they spent that time Last week, trying to make us sympathize with her when they had the Grand Inquisitor be like, you're the least of us. You came from the gutter. So there's just, they're they're teasing out these little threads. I'm not like, so she now currently has Leia, right? Maybe something Leia says to her or something or conversation that they have may not switch her to the light side, but she may let her go or something along those lines. Because I just don't think that this character's arc is going to begin and end with, she's evil as shit.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. that's not an arc at all, really. No, it's not. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with there because everyone else they've written exceptionally well, right? So, I think it'd be weird if this was the oversight. Yeah.
0: Um. All right. Final topic for the week is Qui Gon Jinn. Now, the opening scene features Obi Wan reaching out to Qui Gon Jinn, the previously on recap that aired ahead of the yeah. pilot, made sure to remind us that Yoda told. Obi-Wan to reach out to Qui-Gon because he's figured out some sort of force power (laughs) thing. This scene made me feel instantly stupid, Cade, because while I was very impressed by your Cal Kestis shout last week, in fact, before Tala showed up to save Obi-Wan, there was a part of me that thought Cal might, because as we pointed out, him and Darth Vader have crossed paths in the past. But when I asked you last week what legacy characters could appear, the number one answer that we should have said is Qui-Gon Jinn.
1: I forgot to say it because I remember like thinking when they said it in the recap, it's like the last thing you hear. I'm like, that's intentional. That's obviously coming back. Yeah, he's coming back. Yeah. So
0: that's just about it. I mean, now they have this week, Obi-Wan clearly trying to make contact and reach out. Now, I wonder if they're going to save Qui-Gon for the finale. This will be the first time that Liam has played him in quote-unquote live action since 1999, so it's been a long fucking time. I'm curious if to what extent Qui-Gon's return will be. Will he be the one that gives Obi-Wan a key piece of info on his journey? Will he literally reach out with the Force to like save him physically from an attack? I think there's a couple ways that this show... Can use the Qui Gon card that they have. I'm not sure what, in which way they'll do it. But what I can say is that I'm thinking it's going to be like a end of season last rope saving their ass type thing.
1: It's it's interesting because I don't I don't know if he can physically reach out from the dead to in, like do something. You know, I don't know the limit. I mean, Star Wars. No, I know, but Star Wars. No, we yeah.
0: invent new force power. Yeah,
1: it it doesn't matter. Um, it's interesting though because. Obi-Wan didn't just fail Anakin. He didn't just fail the Republic. He failed his master, right? Like, so they're, they're, the layers, again, they just keep going. And um, th- they will talk. And I, I would imagine more than anything else, it is a empowerment speech. Like, almost like, Hey, great power comes great responsibility. Hey, my guy,
0: you're fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Quit bitching. Get up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, you promised me, go fix this. Right. And and I think Maybe next week where our boy is down in the dumps all burnt up to a crisp. It wouldn't surprise me if he's laying on a bed or something and is trying to reach out, like, give me guidance. God, please. I am so fucked up. (laughs)
0: what's that oh from uh, uncut gems i'm so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right i think that'll do it for this week's episode of obi-wan kenobi if you enjoyed our show make sure to leave us a five-star review on both apple podcasts and as i noticed recently spotify has introduced a rating system for its podcasts as well you can't write a review but you can leave five stars so apple Podcasts, spotify please rate us please follow the podcast account on twitter At pod, Follow Cade at Cade underscore under. Follow myself at Eric Italiano. Follow a new project I'm trying. It's at fake CBM quotes. Fake comic book movie quotes. Just trying out some memes and stuff like that. If you enjoy the content that I post on Postcred Pod, then I think you'll like this as well. Enjoy Obi-Wan Kenobi episode four. We will talk to you all next week when that drops. We've got the boys season three premiering on Friday. Maybe we'll talk about that a bit more. We've got Miss Marvel dropping next Wednesday. Oh shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh wow. So next week is gonna be Miss Marvel and Obi-Wan. Wow. And then the week after that is Jurassic
1: World. So summer is here, folks. Summer is fucking here.
0: <laughs> Dave, final thoughts?
1: Cinema? Yeah, right. we are we are living and breathing cinema right now. It's lovely. I love it.
0: All right, brother. Peace.